0: choose to go to the moon in this decade and do the other thing not because they are easy but because they are hard i feel the liftoff the clock has started roger godspeed john glenn roger zero g and i feel fine this is a new and strange environment at first it's suddenly finding yourself in orbit. We have a lift off, 32 minutes past the hour. Lift off on Apollo 11. Houston, uh, Tranquility Base here. The Eagle has landed. I'm going to step off the land now. That's one small step for man, one giant leap. Houston, say again, please. Uh, Houston, we've had a call. Welcome home, Columbia. Beautiful, beautiful. Discovery, go at throttle up. Discovery, Roger, go at throttle up. Nose gear touchdown. Having fired the imagination of a generation, a ship like no other, its place in history is secured, the space shuttle pulls into port for the last time. Its voyage at an end. Hello and welcome. This is Michael Annis, and you're listening to Episode 2 of the Space Rocket History Podcast. And now, Episode 2, Rocket Pioneers. Humanity has dreamed of traveling into space for centuries. But in the 20th century, scientific and technical capabilities converged with this dream for the first time. From the work of Robert Goddard, through the heroic era of space flight into the 1960s, The modern age of rocketry signaled a beginning that would eventually lead to human flights beyond Earth to the moon. The dream of traveling through space was brought to life by French science fiction writer Jules Verne. In his book, From the Earth to the Moon, published in 1865, Verne used a giant cannon to fire a manned projectile at the moon. Although not a rocket, the projectile had some interesting parallels with the future Apollo moon program. It was called the Columbia and contained a crew of three. It was fired at the moon from Florida. The Apollo 11 capsule was named Columbia, contained a crew of three, and was launched for Florida. Verne correctly described how the crew would feel weightlessness on the voyage. Of course, the crew would not have survived the initial acceleration of the cannon firing. Nevertheless, Verne, an early space exploration visionary, fired the imaginations of many would-be rocketeers and future astronauts. Toward the end of the 19th century, many technical advances were made that were destined to translate rocket theory into reality. Industrialization proceeded at a rapid pace. Enormous progress was made in metallurgy. Improved explosives became available and smokeless gunpowder was invented. Scientists began research on rocket engines and learned to liquefy gases that would one day be used as space vehicle propellants. Most important of all, the excitement of rapidly advancing frontiers of science and technology began to pervade the atmosphere, causing more and more young people to choose scientific and engineering careers and leading universities to expand their scientific curricula. Around the turn of the 20th century, the idea gradually dawned that the rocket was the key to space travel. Only a few individuals grasped that concept, and no one paid much attention to them at first. But this discovery was a landmark in human thought. At last, man had the answer to a problem that had intrigued and baffled him for centuries. The discovery opened the universe to human exploration. The potential of the rocket was realized independently by three different men, born in different countries who never met each other in person. Yet these men, Konstantin Tsiolkovsky of Russia, Robert Goddard of the United States, and Hermann Oberth of Germany, each came to the same conclusion about the future of space travel, conclusions that have become the basic working formulas of the space age. Konstantin Tsiolkovsky was born in September 1857. He was the son of a Polish forester who immigrated to Russia. Tsiolkovsky showed an early talent for science and invention and dedicated himself to the study of mathematics and physics. He wrote and taught extensively about human space travel and is considered the father of the Soviet space program. Tiakovsky was the first to understand and develop the use of rockets in space travel. Though he never built a rocket, he designed several and saw theoretically how reaction engines could escape and re enter the Earth's atmosphere. Tiakovsky's first book, Dreams of the Earth and the Sky, was published in 1883. But Tiakovsky's most famous work was an article for a Russian scientific magazine entitled Exploring Space with Devices, published in 1903. Coincidentally, it was published the same year the Wright brothers achieved powered and controlled airplane flight. The centerpiece of the article was Tsiolkovsky's rocket equation. The equation, based on Newton's second law of motion, relates rocket engine exhaust velocity to changes in the velocity of the rocket itself. It had taken about 200 years from the time Sir Isaac Newton expressed his law of action and reaction to Tsiolkovsky's realization that a reaction device could enable man to leave the planet. Also in the article, Tsiolkovsky advocated liquid propellant rocket engines using liquid hydrogen and liquid oxygen, orbital space stations, solar energy, and colonization of the solar system. In 1924, Tsiolkovsky conceived the idea of multi-stage rockets, although, as we learned last episode, firework makers had been using this principle for the last 200 years. Tsiolkovsky called his multi-stage technique the rocket train. He imagined the rocket train as a passenger rocket train used in the year 2017. The rocket train consisted of 20 single rockets, each with its own engines and propellants. More than 300 feet long, it was 12 feet in diameter and was built in three layers of metal with quartz windows. As each stage consumed its propellants, it would be discarded to keep the weight of the vehicle as low as possible. The next stage would take over the job of accelerating the spaceship, taking advantage of the velocity already given it by the discarded first stage. Tiakovsky conceived theories and developed them, but he did not perform experimental work. He did not receive sufficient financial support from his country, Russia. This was probably due to Russia's political instability and lack of economic and technical resources, and the failure of the military to appreciate the significance of his work. Although he was unappreciated in his lifetime, the launch of the first man-made satellite, Sputnik, was made to coincide with his 100th birthday. Outside Moscow, a monument to Tchaikovsky bears his famous quote, The earth is the cradle of humanity, but one cannot live in the cradle forever. Unlike Tchaikovsky, Robert Goddard was able to combine theory and practice. Goddard was born 25 years after Tchaikovsky on October 5, 1882 in Worcester, Massachusetts. As a boy, Goddard showed aptitude for science and engineering, but he was inspired by science fiction. Among his favorites were H.G. Wells' War of the Worlds and Jules Verne's From the Earth to the Moon. In Goddard's autobiography, he acknowledged the debt he owed to Wells and other science fiction writers by recalling that they, quote, gripped his imagination tremendously, end quote. He also acknowledged Newton's accomplishment. He wrote, Newton's third law made me realize that if a way to navigate space were to be discovered or invented, it would be the result of a knowledge of physics and mathematics. In 1909, Robert Goddard independently came to the same conclusion as Tsiolkovsky. In his study of fuels, Goddard determined that liquid hydrogen and liquid oxygen would serve as an efficient source of propulsion when properly combusted. In 1914, Robert Goddard was granted patents for rocket combustion chambers, nozzles, propellant feed systems, and multi-stage rocket designs. World War I caused a temporary interruption of Goddard's work on high-altitude research. He went to California to work on military rockets. In November 1918, just four days before the armistice that ended World War I was signed, Goddard fired several rocket devices for representatives of the U.S. military and other assorted guests at the Aberdeen Proving Grounds. The rocket devices demonstrated were the forerunners of the World War II bazooka. In 1919, Robert Goddard submitted his most famous work titled A Method of Attaining Extreme Altitudes. This work would have gone unnoticed by all but a tiny segment of the academic community were it not for the inclusion at the end of the report a section called Calculations of Minimum Mass Required to Raise One Pound to an Infinite Altitude. Infinite altitude meant spaceflight, escape from the Earth's gravity, a subject never far from Goddard's mind. And spaceflight in Goddard's day meant going to the moon. Goddard was an introverted man and used to working quietly and alone, He was completely unprepared for what occurred next. Newspaper editors seized on the infinite altitude statements made in Goddard's report and sensationalized them, turning the professor from Massachusetts into the moon man. Goddard, who had sought only the attention of fellow scientists, was profoundly irritated by the wave of publicity, some of which made him the butt of jokes. He finally decided that all he could do was remain silent until the newspapers lost interest. And eventually, they did. In 1926, Robert Goddard tested the world's first successful liquid-fueled rocket in Auburn, Massachusetts. It attained a height of 41 feet in two and a half seconds, and it came to rest 184 feet from the launch pad. Its flight, though unimpressive, was the forerunner of the Saturn V moon rocket, 43 years later. In 1929, the famous aviator Charles Lindbergh, who had read of Goddard's work, arranged for Goddard to receive $50,000 from the Guggenheim Fund for the promotion of aeronautics. This money funded Goddard's move from the crowded Massachusetts to Roswell, New Mexico, where he worked with his wife and four assistants. At last, Goddard was able to work on his rockets full-time. The move paid off, on December 30, 1930, Goddard fired an 11-foot liquid-fueled rocket to a height of 2,000 feet at a speed of 500 miles per hour. The age of modern liquid-propelled rocketry had begun. Like Tiakovsky, Goddard was little known and less appreciated during his lifetime. Yet his efforts had incalculable influence on the course of history. Only after his death did the country take notice of his genius and recognize him as the father of modern rocketry. The third great pioneer of rocketry, Ehrman Oberth, was born in Hungary on June 25, 1894. At the time of Oberth's birth, Tsiolkovsky was in his middle 30s, while Goddard had not yet reached his teens. Like his predecessors, Oberth's interest in spaceflight received its initial stimulus from great science fiction writers of the 19th century, particularly Jules Verne. Oberth's first ideas were far-fetched, such as a magnetic acceleration device in a long tunnel from which the air had been evacuated, and an airplane with silk propellers. But Oberth persisted until he came upon the Newton's action-reaction principle for rocket engines, just like his predecessors. In 1923, Oberth published his first book, the much-celebrated by Rocket Into Space Hoberth's book demonstrated many of the truths that today are taken for granted, such as a rocket can operate in the vacuum of space, and a rocket can move faster than the velocity of its own exhaust gases. Oberth realized that it would be possible for a rocket to launch a payload into orbit around the Earth if the required velocity could be generated, a thought which led him to investigate many propellant combinations He also described in detail the design of a rocket, which he called the Model B, that he believed could be used to explore the upper atmosphere. He discussed the merits of alcohol and hydrogen as rocket propellants and included a section on applications of rocket techniques. Perhaps the most important result of the book being published was that it created a scientific discussion of the technology of rocket propulsion. In 1927, rocketry enthusiasts in Germany formed the Society for Space Travel. Oberth was among the first few members to join, and in 1929, he became the president of the society. Unlike the introverted Goddard, Oberth did everything he could to publicize rocketry in general, and his own work in particular. He became a technical advisor to the UFA Film Company on a movie called Girl in the Moon, As a publicity stunt for the movie, Oberth was given the task to design, build, and fly a rocket. More of a theoretician than an engineer, Oberth had little success. The rocket was actually designed and constructed, but it quickly became apparent that many basic component changes would have to be made if the rocket were ever to fly. A small test motor built by Oberth was successfully static tested in July of 1930. Throughout his life, Oberth was always active in the movement to forward the use of rockets and encouraged others to work, lecture, and write about rockets and spaceflight. The lifetimes of these three great pioneers spanned over 100 years, from Tsiolkovsky's birth in 1857 to the death of Hermann Oberth in 1989. Their most significant contributions occurred between the mid-1880s to the 1930s, Each man made his basic discoveries and laid the foundation of his future activities by his early 20s. What these three pioneers started, others were eager to finish. The impetus provided by their discoveries attracted dozens of eager engineers and scientists into rocketry and astronautical research. Major technical barriers still had to be overcome, but for the first time in history a sizable group of men had begun to take space travel seriously.